and welcome to We Do That, Careers That Make a Difference. I am Dr. Eric Legg, Associate Professor in the School of Community Resources and Development. And in this podcast, we're going to talk to alumni, faculty, and friends of our program about what they do, their ASU experience, and how they make a difference in the world. We hope you'll enjoy hearing from our amazing alumni, and I know you'll gain some insights and hear some great advice. Hi, I'm excited to bring you this conversation today with Alex Nierzwa. Alex is a 2019 graduate in nonprofit management and leadership and currently works for the U.S. Agency for International Development, commonly referred to as USAID or sometimes USAID. My goal was to learn from Alex about her pathway to a career in international development, and we will do that. But as you'll hear, Alex and I also meandered into lots of general life advice discussions. I think you'll enjoy it, and you'll also learn about Alex's fascinating path to her current career. Let's get started. All right, Alex, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Let's just dive right in and help folks get to know you. So tell us a little bit about growing up. Where were you born and where'd you grow up? Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. So I was born in Paris, France. I lived there for eight years. And then I moved to beautiful Arizona. So I was raised in Phoenix. So I was there from like ages eight to 18. So first eight years were in Paris and then transitioned to Phoenix. So I was born in Paris is not a normal answer. So I suspect <laughs> folks are going to be like, why were you born in Paris? So how did you get to Paris? I mean, I'm assuming your parents were in Paris, but. <laughs> you know, exactly. Very fair question though. <laughs> yeah. So my parents actually met in Arizona Yahoo. And then they were work, they were both working internationally. So my father was working in London. My mom was working in Paris. They were both working for large multinational corporations, obviously an international business. And then they were dating long distance between the two places. And then my father asked his company to transfer. I guess it was the most feasible thing. So then he moved to Paris with my mom and then I was born. Yay. So just quickly, what were those first years in Paris like? Loaded question. Anyone who's been in a different country can just tell you that it's it's a different experience, right? So if you think about your current life now and think about your really formative years and the perspectives that you form and the relationships that you forge and just your relationships with school and cultural understandings, it was very different from what I experience now, not just as an adult, but also as a person living in the U.S. Well, I think those years were very different from like when you were a kid, mm -hmm. um, rather than being an adult or living abroad. Okay. So, so Paris to Arizona. So you're in Arizona starting at age eight. Mm -hmm. um, so what were you like as a kid? What was I like as a kid? Excellent yeah. question. I mean, actually it was pretty much the same as I am now. So like very goofy. I was a loquacious lover of verbiage. Um, so I was constantly talking. So I'm an only child, which it was that whole, that's where all that talkativeness came from. Actually, my mom told me this story really recently, which I think is hilarious. So I would go around parks and to make friends, I always carried a backpack with me that had activities and games and supplies so that I would ask people to play with me by presenting them with things so I would say hey like play with me please yay here's the game that we could play so I think that's very representative of how I am as an adult too uh -huh. I would say 
Yeah, that, that, that's a fantastic story. If I didn't already know you were a nonprofit management major, I would have said you were destined for a parks and rec management major. Right, uh, I know. <laughs> but it makes sense that you 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 joined us. Uh, all right, so so let, let's fast forward a bit. It's it's time to go to college. Woohoo! Uh, how'd you end up at ASU? Yeah, so being from Arizona, I wanted to be close to home, and I had actually looked up different programs to do. I was initially when I applied to ASU, I actually applied to, as a teacher. So I applied to be in the Fulton um, and I was accepted and I was really excited, but something was telling me that I wasn't sure if that was really the right choice. So I looked more, I can't remember how I found it, but I found the nonprofit leadership and management program. And I was like, actually, and I looked through the coursework, all the curriculum and I was like, this is, this is exactly what I want. I'm sold. So, and also growing up in Arizona, I should actually also say I volunteered a lot. So my mom was really involved in the community. And so she'd bring me to events with her and she'd be like, yes, this is my daughter. She loves to volunteer and help people. Here you go. And so just like a bunch of organizations came to know me and they would like request me as a volunteer, particularly for fundraising, which is in part how I became a fundraising aficionado let's say during my time as an NLM major yeah uh yeah. so I, I find many of our NLM majors were passionate about a particular cause um was that the case for you or you just generally liked volunteering in the nonprofit world yeah that's a really good question so as I got older I've always been really passionate about migrants and immigrants, but I didn't really understand what that meant from a young age, like what concrete cause I could support. But then as I got older, I became really passionate about refugees and asylees, a cause that I'm very, to this day, very, very passionate about. So, and it's something that actually in my current position helped contribute to and facilitate also. So that's very rewarding. Well, there is a particular organization, and I'm embarrassed I don't remember the name, but that leaves water out in the desert for, for migrants crossing. Once upon a time, Bobby and I, Bobby and my wife, right, we're out hiking near Oregon Pipe near the border and got very lost, as we tend to do when we're hiking. Happens well, to the best of us. Yeah, what was meant to be a like, couple mile quick hike, and we were still wearing Tevas, turned into like 14 mile hike. Oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, wow. we were getting a little nervous and <laughs> we stumbled across one of those waters left in the desert and we used that water. We came back and then donated to that organization because we definitely felt a little guilty about our negligence in planning our hike, but lots of good causes. Yeah. But I mean, also, you know, I think that until you're in a situation, you're experiencing those kinds of dire circumstances, you take for granted something as basic as water. Yeah. Which, and especially, you know, when you experience the really intense sweltering Arizona heat, you're like, oh yeah, whatever water, like, okay, this is a little bit of a deviation, but where I live now on the East coast, people take water for granted, but coming from a Southwestern perspective, never take water for granted because you actually never know when it's going to stop being clean or just stop flowing freely. Absolutely. So, so thinking about your your time at ASU now, any moments that um, were particularly defining or pivotal? Pivotal. I just made up a word there. Pivotal I love it. <laughs> in taking your major to career. So, 
any eureka moments or, or things you look back fondly. And maybe that's not even educational. Maybe that's, I remember going to this football game and I'll never forget that. Yeah. Okay. So definitely your class. I'm so embarrassed that I can't remember the class, but I, it was intro to res not intro to resource management, but it was like a crash course in statistics and it yeah. helped me so much in my graduate school yeah. class. Uh, uh, so, so, so the course, and no one remembers the name of it, even if you're taking it. So that's, okay. I'm so sorry. Assessment and evaluation of community services. Assessment and evaluation of community but services. Yeah, it, is, it is the undergraduate research class. Why we don't call it that, I don't know, but yeah. I feel like that would be a little bit more intuitive, but yeah. alas. No, ASU but, way, right? We have complicated names for everything. <laughs> in, in, in its own way. But that was, that was a class where I was like, we're quantifying what we do, which I don't know if we discuss enough, very frankly, in the NLM degree, because, you know, when you're talking about fundraising, people are talking about impact, impact, imp impact, but you're talking, you're not talking about the data collection of that impact, the methodology of the data collection, how that data is evaluated. So I think that your class is a really, really good job of bringing that to light. And then, you know, my graduate classes further expanded upon that, which was absolute torture, but did it nonetheless. Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate that. And I tell students all the time, I realize this class may not be the most exciting class you will take, but I promise you it'll be useful. But it's one of the most useful classes that anyone yeah. can take. I And I mean that very sincerely. And then also I would think that I took a an intro to nonprofits class. I can't remember the class number, but it was Dr. Price's intro to nonprofit organizations class. It just tells you the basics and the history of like the nonprofit sector. And that was really powerful for me. That was a class where I felt that I had made the right choice in at least pursuing a degree in nonprofit leadership and management and would set me on the right course. So, uh, so what advice would you give yourself? Looking back, what would you tell a younger Alex? Ooh, full of good questions. <laughs> I think I'm very fortunate and I had parents and yeah, just parents and friends who encouraged me a lot and said, and just reminded me that persistence is the key. Persistence is the key. And so I think that no matter the dream, I really think that persistence pays off. And also keeping an optimistic mindset is very, very helpful. Again, I have, I'm very fortunate and I have a, both a community, a community of support that supports both the positive outlook as well as persistence. Other than that, what would I tell myself? I think I don't, I actually don't even know what I would tell myself. I feel like I'm, my brain is just like flooded with possibilities because already picking a college major is difficult and then trying to find the right path. And it's like, it's all going to work out. Like yep. everything is going to be fine. I think that's probably actually what I would tell myself is that everything is going to be okay. Yeah, like I, you I, will figure things out. Yeah, I, I, so I think both of those are, are great pieces of advice. Uh, there's a lot of research out there that says grit, which is essentially a fancy word for persistence, predicts success above anything else, above IQ, above money and I'm drawing a blank, but it's persistence. And I, I think what we often don't talk about, and I think you make a great point is the optimism because it's hard to be persistent <laughs> if you're not optimistic. Yeah. Cause like hope, it's something that all humans have in common, but it can yep. be so hard to maintain that hope, especially when you encounter so many obstacles. Also grit by is 
the book by Angela Duckworth, sociologist. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sorry, again, tangent, but you had mentioned that in your class and I was like, this lady sounds so cool. Yeah. So I started listening. She was a guest on a podcast with, oh my gosh, the guy who wrote Freakonomics, Stephen. Right. Stephen yeah. Levitt, people I mostly admire. Thank you, people I mostly admire. Okay, and we talked about them. So Angela Duckworth and Stephen Levitt all the time in my grad school classes. So literally thanks to you, I like discovered this massive personality who had a really significant presence in my grad school classes. Yeah, And, and I've never told you that other than right now. So, so, so I'm sorry about that. But. No, that's great. And I, I promise we will not go off on a tangent, but I have to say here, but Angela Duckworth has her own podcast with Stephen Dubner, who's the other guy from Freakonomics called No Stupid Questions. I also subscribe to that podcast. That's why I said Stephen, I was tempted to say Stephen Dubner at first. Okay, but I'm going to write both of these down. (laughs) So I'm going to circle this back. So the other thing I think you said that's really wise, actually two things. Uh, One is that community of support. Uh, I think it's important to find that. And there are lots of ways to find that. But it doesn't necessarily happen automatically. It takes some initiative to seek it out. So I encourage people to seek that out. And then the final thing you said, which I think is super important, is it will work out. (laughs) And one day I'm going to have someone just interview me for this podcast and talk about my whole career journey. But it's it's quite the nonlinear path, (laughs) but it works out. And I think that's really hard to know when you're in college and everything's stressful, but it works out. It does work out. But I mean, also, life isn't meant to be linear. There are so many things in life to explore that it's absolutely a-okay to do lots of different things. Life is meant to be enjoyed, you know? I think that there's a lot of pressure. And I'm saying this as a person in D.C., which is the most, like, between D.C. and New York that are just straight-laced, like, focus on work. Life is just meant to be, as I said, enjoyed, you know? There's no, the only pressure that you're really putting, that anyone is putting on anything is is on themselves. So if you can just take a step back and realize, like, identify your passion, you're great, you know? Maybe that's just me. And I mean, and I just want to touch on the community of support thing because I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. And so if I may just impart some advice to listeners (laughs) struggling to find a community of support, just identify like a point of interest and try to connect. Like college is the best way to find that community that has similar interests to you because college campuses have so many clubs. Like if you like to go hiking, go join the hiking club. If you like to play intramural sports, go join the intramural sports clubs. And the thing is these communities exist outside of college. Like, okay, I only really know this in the DC area, but, and I know that they exist elsewhere. So in DC, we have intramural sports teams all over the place. They're called Volo, so it's V-O-L-O leagues. I'm sure they exist in other parts of the country too. Yeah. Um, it's Phoenix Fray here. Yeah. Phoenix Fray. We also have that here. Yeah. yeah. So it's just there's so many different opportunities. Also, Facebook is a great resource. You know, people just sign up. They have like I'm part of a girls who hike. And then there are also some women on D on DC Instagram channels who like coordinate coffee shop hops and running sessions together. So 
find a point of interest and then go find your people. And that'll also, I feel like, make it so much easier to find that community of support. Yeah, uh, great, great advice. I'll, I'll add to that. Uh, I don't think people, students, realize how much faculty are here to support. I think it's good to remind you, we are not like super scary people. We actually like helping and we actually like students. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this profession. So that, can I just talk to you about life? We actually like those conversations. Although confession, I'm always terrified when I talk to an alum and they start uh, a conversation with, I remember when you told me, <laughs> because I'm like, oh crap, what did I say? <laughs> you say only the wisest, uh, most positive. Hopefully works out. Although frequently it's like, oh, I said that. I don't recall saying that, but glad it's worked out for you. So it's worked out. No, absolutely. And like faculty are, are so well-versed in the resources available, like exactly to your point. Faculty are some of the nicest people because they've dedicated their lives to helping students. Like what's more beautiful than that? Helping yeah. students find themselves, identify subjects of interest, and then present them with opportunities to access the subject, those subjects yeah, of interest. No, it, it, it's a great life. Um, so one other thing I, I want to talk about that you just said, and then we'll move on. Um, mm. but, but you said something about identify your passion. And I want to talk about that for a second because I think a lot of people... I think this is not just students, I think adults too, feel like you have to identify your passion first. <laughs> and they feel like you just need whatever, it's going to magically come to you. <laughs> I'm going to sit around and meditate and my passion is going to come to me. And it doesn't usually work that way. So I think, and I'll be interested in your response, that too often we tell people, find your passion. And, and sometimes we need to tell people like, do the work, like try things, <laughs> experiment. Does it sound like it might be amazing? Maybe not, but it might be. <laughs> anyway, what what do you think about that? Am I am I off base? No, I don't think you're off base at all. And I think that I, I don't know if it's fortunate or not, but I'm of the school of thought of experiment, try new things. Yep. The worst that can happen is that it doesn't come to fruition. And when I say that, it's just like, okay, so you don't feel super fulfilled from it. Okay, that's fine. Then go try something else. I think it's also very easy to say that though, because it does take a lot of courage to put yourself out there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, a ton of courage. And so I think that's also what makes it really hard for people to do that kind of experimentation. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, admittedly, I don't have any tips or tricks to facilitate that kind of uncomfortable feeling that you experience when you want to try something new. I'm pretty fortunate. And I, if I want to do something, I just do it. And I think it's in part because I'm an extrovert. So I am willing and ready to go do things. I'm also comfortable doing things on my own. So I also do a lot of things by myself. Like earlier in the year, last year, I was like, oh, you know, I'd love to do, I would love to take a watercolor class, but I actually don't know how to draw. So I, after talking to like a couple of different art studios, they were like, you should probably take a basic drawing class. So I just signed up for a basic drawing class. And as it turns out, we were all like a group of DC professionals who were just hanging out, learning to draw for three months. It was a great time. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I think to that end, it's taking, even if you take like the first leap is going to be the hardest. Mm -hmm. So after you can take that first leap to do that thing, whether it be join an outdoor club, join a craft club, 
join a language club, join those things. It's just the first leap is the hardest, but after that, it does get easier. And after that, you can meet your people and you can find your interests. But the thing is also, sometimes you might not find your passion and that's okay. Like it's okay to not be passionate about what you do. It's not, it's okay to like, and when I say to, to not feel passionate about what you do, what you do as a career, what you do as a major, it's okay to not be quote unquote passionate about it. However, I hope that people derive enjoyment from it because you are electing to commit good amounts of time to it, but different people have different motivations. So I hope that people at least find interest in what they do, even if they don't find passion from it. Yep. I agree with you and hundred percent that that courage is hard. I'm, I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually a really strong introvert, which surprises people sometimes because they're like, but you teach classes in front of all these students. I'm like, that's a different thing. But, I, and so it is hard for me to do those things, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's breaking it down into bite size. Like what's the very next step in doing that little step for me. As, as you know, like I have this huge leadership role in U.S. tennis that's led to lots of amazing things. And that started because I talked to someone after a conference and I was scared to death to go up to them and talk to them. But it all started there. So, so that that courage is huge. I mean, so taking that as an example, so like for introverts who are like major introverts who are listening, what is something like how did you manage and navigate that fear and how did you take that leap into to have that conversation? That's a, it's a great question. I, I literally remember I'm like standing around waiting for that person to finish another conversation and just being like, hi, my name is Eric. Like, I'm really interested in tennis. How can I get involved? Yeah. That's, it's, I don't know, Alex. I don't, I don't really know what gave me that courage other than I, I think I was probably literally shaking, which now seems silly, but it's hard. And I think I want to acknowledge people that it's hard and, uh, but it, it pays a lot of dividends. Yeah. But yay, go you for having done it. Yeah. Because as you said, it takes a lot of courage and you were probably shaking at the time. And like, yeah. that's a lot of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you did it and changed your life. And that's absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Great. All right. So let, let, let's get back to, to we're going to get close to wrapping up ASU here. Uh, internships. So everybody wants to know about the internship. So what did you do? How did you get it? Oh, Lord. When you say internships, okay, so here's the deal. I have had like 45 million internships. Are you talking about the principal yeah. one at the end? Yeah, th- thank you for reminding me that because I was asking this question. I was like, you had a lot. So so let, let's talk about, to the extent you can, all of them. So let's say all of your work experience, once you started, your, after you started your degree, okay. and then you can just say, oh, by the way, that was the official one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it sounds good. All right. Okay. So what were all your work experiences during college? Oh, Dr. Leg. <laughs> we can make this a part one and part two, <laughs> by the way, if we need to. Oh, man. <laughs> Honestly, that's how it feels. So when I started my journey at ASU, I became mesmerized with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I should say mesmerized by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And so I really, really wanted to get involved. So I actually used my surf, nope, the community service hours. 
CFEs, community. CFEs. Community. Oh, geez, I don't know what it stands for. <laughs> That's embarrassing. No, no, career field experience. There we go. Good job. So I used my CFE hours to start <laughs> my relationship with Make-A-Wish because I had to like, you know, do community service hours. And so I actually did 25, you know, service hours because that's a requirement for the first semester. And then the second semester, I just continued with them because I was like, oh, this is actually a very manageable thing. I might as well just keep doing it to fill the 300 hours, I think, that we had to fulfill. And then actually, I just kept working with them and an, an internship slot opened up for the work that I was doing, which was donor care. So helping with the administrative part of, oh my gosh, what is it? I'm forgetting all of my fundraising knowledge. It's the annual fund. There we go. So an internship spot opened up in donor care and donor care is functionally the operationalization of an annual fund. And so I just continued doing the work that I was doing, but I just had the title of an intern um, because they liked me so much because they had fostered a relationship with me for six or seven months. They knew that I was a competent worker, blah, 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 that I was reliable. And then I just kept going up with Make-A-Wish. So I ended up interning for Make-A-Wish America. And then I ended up interning for Make-A-Wish France during college. And then I also interned, interned with the International Rescue Committee. And then my final like big required internship was with the Barrow Neurological Foundation, which is a hospital foundation to try to help support patients who may not have the necessary resources to be able to get the care they need. So I, it was really, really interesting interacting with kids who were receiving the care and then interacting with an institution that was providing the care. So seeing both sides of the donor care, the caregiver caregivee relationship. And then also for the International Rescue Committee, as I had mentioned earlier, that was kind of the culmination of my interest in immigrant refugee issues. And I wanted to take a deeper dive into that. And then I ended up volunteering and interning with them for a really long time. So, yeah. So, so how did you get the one at Barrow? Is that just something you applied for? Because that, that seems different than the others. It's very different from the others. So, yeah. So I actually also, I was, I worked part, so uh, also a little bit about me as a person, which I think is important to know, is that, and this is not conventional to say, so I believe in the power of institutions. So I am the kind of person who... I will always look to a big public, private, nonprofit institution. And I see that as like a really big community marker. And so I always want to get involved with those kinds of bigger institutions. So how did I get involved with Barrow? So I had done, I'd been a, a, an administrator. What was I? I was a research administrator at ASU to like help the research pipeline into the university and so they were actually looking for someone who had had experience in health and also research because they wanted someone to help build a research pipeline for doctors to apply for national grants. And that latter part is actually exactly what I did for ASU as a university. 
So I was, so I, I found it and I applied for it given very niche interests. Mm -hmm. So I realized that that might not be very accessible to other people. And I'm very, very sorry. I think it's more of like, understand your skill sets, understand your like knowledge base and how you can leverage that. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, that's great. I, I think one of the pieces of advice I'm taking this from this, or at least going to summarize, and maybe selfishly, because advice I often give students, which is a bit non-traditional, um, is say yes. <laughs> say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. And I, I feel like we live in an era of it's like, say no, define your boundaries, blah, blah, blah. I shouldn't roll my eyes, but I am. And I, I'm not saying there's not value to that. And yes, I see people get overwhelmed by saying yes to too many times, but too often I see the opposite. For whatever reason, people don't say yes to everything. And, and Alex, what I hear is yes to Barrow, yes to that research position, yes to IRC, yes to make a wish. And I think that's the takeaway here. Mm -hmm. uh, I bet there were times you felt overwhelmed. Oh my gosh. So throughout my entire undergraduate career, hold on, I have to think about this, like, but throughout my, cause I did mostly unpaid internships and I had to pay my own bills. Mm -hmm. And so throughout every summer, at least of undergrad, I was doing one to two internships at a time. And then also working between one and three jobs at a time. Yeah. So I was crazy busy. And also during school, like my first year of undergrad, I was working 50 hours a week for my first year. And I was doing a full full course load and I was volunteering. So I had no life. Yeah. <laughs> I am not saying that, that, that I don't advocate for that by any means, because that's a lot. But I would say try to balance between the yes and the no and be aware of your boundaries because those are important, but also understand the limits of your boundaries. Mm -hmm. So like, do you have, are you giving yourself cushion? Like if something comes your way, um, so like if you have two cool opportunities, understanding why they're cool, if one is going to benefit you more than the other, given different circumstances, that is a very vague and terrible example, but it's just being very, very careful as to how you invest your time and very limited resources, those being time and money, especially in school. Yeah. 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 And I, and I want to advocate for workaholism, but I think yeah. too often people don't say yes enough. Um, so I just wanted to like, because I agree, yeah. but also it's, we all have to know our limits, you know, yeah. and also advocating for health, take care of yourself. Yeah. I, I'm probably a terrible example because like you, I say yes to too many things, but, but it's also worked out really well for me. So I think that's what I mean. And also I will say that now I've started saying no to things and yeah. it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And it really, but I mean, also I'm in a position where I can say, I, I, think, no I think that's the key, right? Yeah. Like you have to establish yourself and get these opportunities by saying yes, before you can say no. And maybe that's the difference. And I like, I don't know where that, like how that comes to be. I think, yeah, I don't know how that comes to be, but the sooner you can establish it, the more liberating it is for sure. Yeah. Great. Um, just think I would, 
err on saying yes a little too much and being a little overwhelmed than saying no too much and missing out on opportunities. See, the, same, the thing is, I feel the exact same. And this is where I'm like, ooh, maybe we should have a different perspective way in. Because I think both of us are really eager to take on new opportunities and might sacrifice ourselves. Because yep. I know I've done that in the past. As I explained, like freshman year, I had 45 majillion jobs plus school plus volunteer. Like, not even that persisted through senior year, but just in different ways. And then even in grad school, like, oh my God, I had, I was taking an accelerated course load. Then I had a job and an internship at the same time while doing a one-year master's program, which is unheard of. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> you, you might have taken the say yes too far. But, yeah, but... You know, so there are, there, are, there are limits. There are limits, absolutely. There are limits. Let <laughs> me listen, there are limits. And when someone's listening and who is that like, no, define your boundaries, say no person, like reach out and we can have the counterpoint here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I agree. You and I take it too far. Maybe I'm on my soapbox that people don't say yes enough, but I think it often ends up in good things. But it's like, it's, I think it's a good perspective to advocate for. And it's just like trying to hold these things in our brains of like, one thing is not necessarily strictly bad. And one thing is not necessarily strictly good. There's always balance in things. And so it's up to each and every one of us to understand our own balance of different priorities and how we can live the life, like our lives to the best of our abilities. So you finished school undergrad what's next did you did you work or did you go straight to grad school so guess what I did I did another internship Alex and her internships <laughs> colon a journey so I was very fortunate and I had had a conversation with someone while I was like complete coincidence of a conversation when I was volunteering at Make-A-Wish France. So I did a study abroad semester in Paris in fall 2017. And the following summer, I interned with Make-A-Wish France. That's also how that happened. But while I was volunteering with Make-A-Wish France, I met this woman who just happened to be a VP at Disneyland Paris. And she and I got to talking and I had just come off of my internship at Make-A-Wish America and she had a strategic interest in emulating the business partnership, like the corporate alliances partnership model across the European market, similar to the one that was done in the US. And so she was like, ha ha, you know these things. And I was like, actually I do. And here is all this information. And so she gave me a 28-day internship in Paris. So I had to secure housing, but I'm very fortunate. And because I was born there, I have family friends there. So I lived with a family friend for 28 days, did the internship. And then again, very lucky. They liked me so much that they decided to extend my internship by three months. So then I did that. And then they were like, haha, actually, you were great. Now try to pivot to do this other thing that we need you to do. So then they hired me short term for three months. Ta-da! So then that turned into a job, which was great. But then at the end of that contract, Disneyland Paris said, we cannot hire you full time with a full contract unless you get a master's degree. And so then I was like, okay, so I should probably 
shift gears and get a master's degree because it was on my radar. I was thinking about it anyways. And then I was like, okay, well, if this is inhibiting my ability to pay my bills, then I should probably get into a master's program. While I was doing my search, I went to this conference, randomly met a guy on a panel who I asked him out for coffee, ended up hiring me. So I got another short-term contract and he advised me on what kinds of graduate schools I should apply to. And then actually after that, I got into graduate school, worked for him and then moved back to the U.S. Okay. So I was out of school for like a year and three months. And then I went back to grad school. And, and what work were you doing for him? So it was, so he was a manager at a place called the Good Lobby, which is a public policy firm in Brussels. So we were, uh, so I was on the communications team. So we taught citizens, NGOs, and social movements about EU policymaking processes within EU institutions. So not just European nations themselves, but like the EU commission and how that works and how different regulations and different members of parliament, how they vote and how that impacts people in their respective countries. So, yeah. And actually, I guess this is an important part to note for both Disneyland Paris and for the good lobby listeners should know that I am a European citizen as well. So I'm a dual national. I'm an American citizen, but I'm also a European citizen, which means that I can go between both countries and I do have the ability to work freely, yeah, which helps. Yeah. Quite. A yeah. Bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I should have mentioned that uh, early. <laughs> no, that's, it's a good, good clarification for people who are like, I want to work in Paris. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's harder. <laughs> Than you might think, but when you study abroad, I mean, volunteer, like if you ever study abroad, if you're, because that's a huge privilege, try to take advantage of that privilege and like try to like volunteer with local organizations. That's what I did. That's what I did with Make-A-Wish France and I ended up working out. I mean, obviously it was Make-A-Wish France and I had working rights, but like if you can develop relationships with people, they might be able to sponsor visas, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you went to grad school at, at Syracuse in public, public policy, public affairs, which is it? They all. Yeah. Which, which is it? What's the. Oh, opinion? it's, it's technically an MPA, which is a master. Oh, so, of, oh, so you got your MPA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Master's in public administration. Yeah. It's a long one. Yeah. Uh, which I, I highly recommend as a really good master's degree for folks. But what made you choose that particular degree? Yeah. So the guy that I mentioned that I, where I worked for him, I had told him I was, cause I have 400 million different interests in life, as you know, cause I did that independent study in your class. I did I'm like, I'm really interested in corporate social responsibility, but also like corporate philanthropy, what that looks like on the ground with employees, but also from a corporate perspective. And then I'm also interested in democracy and governance. And then I'm also interested in nonprofits. I'm also interested in social enterprises. I have 10 million interests. It's fine. And so I told him this and I was like, I need to get a a master's degree that allows for that versatility, that gives me that room to breathe where I can pivot however I want. And so he was like, well, you have a nonprofit leadership and management major from your undergrad. You have a business minor. I think it would make sense for you to be able to go between sectors and get a master of public administration. So technically, like with all my degrees, 
I have all three perspectives of the three sectors, right? Yeah. So I have the public sector, the private sector, and then I have the nonprofit sector. And so, and I've, in my experiences, I've dabbled in all of those, whether it's like the intersections of those or just purely nonprofit or purely in business, but they usually cross over. So he really helped me through that. And I'm very, very grateful to him because it was a big decision because like grad school is expensive and yeah. I paid for grad school all through federal loans. So it's like $90,000 to your name is a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, sorry that I'm laughing, but I just, it's, it is, it's a, it's a huge investment, but like you're making a really big investment in yourself and in a big investment in your future. Those loans are super scary. The, the data support that it pays for itself in the long term, both in sheer dollars and also just career satisfaction. Again, not to diminish that taking out loans is a scary thing, but it does tend to work out. And I highly recommend an MPA for people, particularly nonprofit management majors or parks and rec management majors as a way to that experience. So let's skip a little bit ahead and then we may backtrack. We'll see. You are currently working for... <laughs> So you USAID or USAID or what did you say you heard it called? Did you say you said? Yeah, you said. I, I was like, that one. Um, I haven't heard that one. But for folks who don't know, USAID, US, oh, you, now I have blank, International Development. What does it stand for? Yeah, no, that is, that's exactly what it is. So it's yeah. the US Agency for International Development. Agency is the word I was blanking on. I couldn't think of CFEs <laughs> earlier, so it's, it's all good. So, so tell us what you do now and then... I know it wasn't your first job, so we'll backtrack as needed. Woohoo! Um, again, Alex's life, or I guess Al before it was Alex's internships, colon, a journey. Alex's professional experiences, colon, a journey. Yeah, so I currently work as a grant specialist for the Bureau for Humanitarian Assistance within the U.S. Agency for International Development. It's a mouthful. And so, in short... Um, I am part of a team of people who verifies uh, federal compliance for every dollar that goes, that flows out of the U.S. government for humanitarian assistance. So, and why do I do federal compliance? It's to make sure that, very frankly, we don't fund any insurgent groups. We're not funding countries against which we have sanctions. And when I say we, I just mean the U.S. the U.S. government as a whole. So also if we have agreements with UN organizations, I also verify those sanctions. Yeah. So it's a very admin job. So yeah. how did you get that job? Okay. So I had mentioned before that I had worked for you as a research development administrator. That was my full post title. It just came to me. And so during that time, I was responsible for building a research pipeline of monies to come into the university to see like what opportunities the university could apply for. So it was something called limited submissions where the university would have to do an internal competition to select faculty who were working on interesting things and who the university would be willing to sponsor for very, very competitive grants on a national level. Um, okay. So that being said, that means that I had experience in federal award management, um, because I had to interact with national actors. Um, so like NIH principally, and we did some department of state, um, funding opportunities 
I can't remember what else we did. That was like six years ago at this point. So my memory is failing, but so I had a federal award management and then I'm going to be backtracking for you. I also had a job in DC at Commonics International, which is something called an implementing partner organization. So it means that you do all the programmatic support for activities that are happening on the ground. So I supported activities happening across West Africa for health supply chains. So when I say supporting activities, I monitored, I should say, accounted, budgeted, monitored, expend, every single expenditure for $2.5 million um, for two portfolios for activities happening in six different countries. So it's like having that kind of responsibility, that's what they look for. They look for experience with international organizations. They look for experience with money also, because, you know, we are entrusted to make sure that we handle taxpayer money responsibly. Like part of my job is not just the sanctions, but also making sure that I file things correctly per the U.S. government regulations so that the government can go back in case any kind of concerned citizens ask, where do my tax dollars go? They can go back and say, this is exactly how we use your money. So I don't know if that answers yeah, the question. That, that, that's great. Uh, and I, I was thinking we, we need like a, a diagram to track oh, how God. all your careers relate to It doesn't to make other. any sense. Uh, I don't even know myself. Sorry. That's why I'm like, I... I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it, it, it's great. And I, I think it also connects back to a couple of things we were talking about earlier. One, saying yes to opportunities and B, it'll work out because uh, my guess is when you were doing that research admin job at ASU, you had no idea that that skill set would be very relevant to your current job and that, that would help you get your current job. And I have to talk about my career path. And once upon a time, I was a consultant on executive pay. So we worked with companies to help them design their pay packages for their CEO, CFOs, which you would think is completely irrelevant to what I do now, but there actually is a lot of skill set overlap. I learned a lot in that job that I use now. Like what? Like name one to two skills that you use. All the Excel. All my Excel skills came from that job. And a lot of my analytical skills came from that job. That makes sense. Um, also, Excel is amazing. Yeah. Now I can also read a proxy statement in an annual report really well, which is probably not relevant to what I do now, but you know, not all of it is. Um, but it's a skill but, set. It's a it's skill set you acquire. It's a skill set. Like it was very much an analytical job. And I also, I like, I do a lot of projects now where I consult with organizations. Now it's about different stuff. It's not about executive pay, but I know how that works. I know how to give a presentation to write a report to give to someone who works in the field, not another academic, which honestly, a lot of academics don't know how to do. Because so we write in these journals and it's very esoteric style, but I know how to write for an audience that's not an academic. And I learned that in that job. So you never know. Also, I still have very good friends from that job. So there's that benefit too. Yeah. We love that. That's yeah. wonderful. So a lot of our students are interested in international work. Um, so, so I guess my first question would be for someone who's interested in international work, would you recommend a job like yours? Does it does it scratch that itch? I know you're not living abroad, but we've talked about that's that's complicated. So I would I would definitely recommend international work and international experiences, ten thousand percent. I think one of the barriers to entry is cost. So costs as far as maybe having to pay for volunteer programs or 
cost as far as moving to a new place mm -hmm. and maybe not having the financial means to just kind of pick up your life and go somewhere because those are huge sacrifices. So I think that a lot of research is necessary. Number one, also number two, understanding what kinds of, like if you're interested in organizations, in countries, whatnot, tailoring your research accordingly. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm an institutional person and my whole goal in life is to try to help as many people as I can using my skill set. I know that my skill set is grants management. I'm really good at administrative work. So that is how I've tried to position myself in my life is I just am trying to be in a job that has large scale impact where I try to help a lot of people using that admin skill set. So if you want to do an international journey, lots of research, try to ask people about their experiences. So in the international development community specifically, a lot of people do Peace Corps, which I recommend, but then there are also other venues and other channels by which you can acquire either those experiences or similar experiences. And I mean, maybe the first step is talking to a Peace Corps recruiter or like also I know that ASU has is really starting to blossom in that space. There is an ASU-led initiative, and I'm trying to think of the name for it. Chloe Scott used to work there. Oh, uh, Chloe Scott used to work at Lab. Solar Spell. Solar Spell. There we yeah. go. Boom. Yep. Okay, so like looking at opportunities <laughs> like Solar Spell, or like I'm sure that there are also other opportunities across ASU that have international components. So finding people to talk to, it's just all about, I feel like poking around, talking to people and just researching, because I would say that the way that I did it is not the conventional way to do it. Yeah. 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 You're probably an anomaly in DC. Well, I know you are because you didn't do Peace Corps and you didn't go to law school. Legit though. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, no, <laughs> literally I am one of the few people I've met who's involved in international development, who has not done Peace Corps. And I mean that in all seriousness, it's crazy, but also, and that's where I would say the flip side of not having done that also means that you have a different perspective. Yep. Uh, so keep that in mind of like, what are you looking for? in your abroad experience, idealist.org has a lot of international local international organizations that recruit for interns, either remotely or in country. And I've seen postings for South Africa, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, also UN organizations are always hiring for interns, but again, those might be unpaid. So you just have to weigh your benefits, yeah. you know? And I'll add for anybody listening, we have a, well, I guess now alumni, recent alumni who's currently doing Peace Corps. So it is a viable option for students in our program to do Peace Corps. That's something you want to do. So, so I want to reframe that question a little bit. Your answer might be the same, but someone who's interested in international work, but not necessarily going abroad. So like USAID and that kind of work, does that, do you think that kind of scratches that itch of I get international development experience, but I'm stateside? It's, it's it's a viable, it's a much more viable path, I will say that, than going to living abroad. 
I mean, that's the path I've taken. So, and that's, I, I think I said that in my earlier response, which is, it depends. Like I am personally very comfortable with doing admin work mm -hmm. because I know that like, I I'm good at that. I don't feel the need to travel abroad. I would like to, at some point to like mm -hmm. go to the countries where we're working, but yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying to trying to get at, and maybe I should have just said it, is I think we have a lot of people who want to work internationally and they see it as this very exciting, exotic thing. And I'm not saying it's not, but I think you can get a lot of that fulfillment working for the US government. Mm. <laughs> and you can still travel. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, but you get that. And I, I think people don't always realize when they say like, oh, I want to do international. Like there's great ways to do international development work. It's in the U.S. It doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean applying abroad. And maybe I should have just said that instead of trying to ask you a big question to tease it out. But I mean, I, like, absolutely. It's, I think, like, there are so many organizations in the U.S. that do work abroad. Habitat for Humanity, Food for the Hungry, Save the Children, Mercy Corps. All of these are based in the U.S. They all have, depending on their structure, they also have offices abroad. So maybe you can get transferred or maybe they'll send you into the field. Different organizations have different models where they can rotate staff in and out. The International Rescue Committee. I'm trying to think of the Norwegian Refugee Council. I'm trying to think of all the people I work with. Action Against Hunger. I'm running out of names right now. Yeah. Um, you make a great point. There are lots of nonprofits doing international work that also have a U.S. presence. I, being the Washingtonian, think of the federal government. But Yeah, no, but I mean, also there's so many opportunities in the federal government. I'm just trying to name more accessible places because the federal government can be really, really hard to get into. And especially, I just honestly applied for it blindly and it just happened to work out. Yeah. So, but that's not something that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, but there's other places are great places to start and get that experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's say someone is interested in a job like yours. What advice would you give them? I have no idea. Maybe you can just say, see previous answers. Cause, cause we have given a lot of advice between the two of us during the last. Yeah. Hour. I feel like we really have though. <clears throat> oh man. Okay. I have one. Because this is something that I try to tell myself, and I think that you can relate to this. Stay curious. Um, I think curiosity is so important. Um, curiosity is the driver of improvement. It's the driver of knowledge acquisition. Sorry to even use that phrase, but like learning new things is so cool. Learning new perspectives on even the same thing is so cool because you get to see how someone else thinks of something. Learning a new hobby. So you don't learn those things unless you're curious. So I think that curiosity is the first step. Yeah. Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, as people become busy or we get older or whatnot, we kind of lose that sense of curiosity and that sense of potentially wonder that can come from that curiosity. Well, I, I think that's fantastic advice. And there are great ways to stay curious and to do that. Absolutely. Aside from that, wow, advice. I don't know. I already said be optimistic. Okay. This is a new thing for me, but prioritize building a community of love and support. So I've always had a community of love and support, but like I'm across the country for my family. So, and I don't have family in this immediate area. So I need to have, and I haven't seen my good friends from Arizona 
for a very long time, unfortunately, because we drift and we've taken different courses with our lives. So it's like, I think whatever you do, just building good relationships and maintaining those relationships, whatever that looks like. I think that's honestly something I really, really pride myself on. And especially like if you're about to graduate and you're like, oh my God, my entire life is going to change. I really hope that if you haven't found your people by now, you're making a conscious effort to like start finding those people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll add to that is, is be that community of support for someone else. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, I, I'm going to tell a little story and we're going to close on this. I don't know if I've ever told you this or not. Uh, maybe. But before I had met you, before you were in my class, Erica Carner, we both know, who was in my class and doing some research with me, asked me if I knew you and I did not. And I still remember, I don't know why, but I'll never forget it. She was telling us, she's like, everybody needs an Alex in their life, was how she described you. And that's a a high compliment. And I, I think that says what a support you are for a lot of people. And I think what you've shared today will be listened to by hopefully lots of people, but it's great advice. And you and I could talk for hours as we know. It's true. But I, I super appreciate you. I know we've gone extra long. We may make this two episodes, which would be kind of fun. If I can find a natural split point, we'll make it two. Why not? Let's yep. break some records. Yep. But thank you so much for sharing that story. That's so beautiful. I'm going to text Erica and tell her thank you. Yeah. For text her. Having was- said that. And then for sharing that with you like that's as you said that's a very high compliment that's very very sweet and very kind I really yeah. appreciate it thank yeah you. all right Alex well thank you so much yay thank you doctor like thank you for having me on the pod and if you are interested in learning more about one of our degrees and how you can make your mark on the world you can find out more at scrd.asu.edu SCRD is the abbreviation for our school. Again, that's scrd.asu.edu. Or email me at eric.leg at asu.edu. That's E-R-I-C dot L-E-G-G at asu.edu. I promise I'll answer every email, and I hope you enjoy our guest.